Hello world, this is Stephen Francis, and you're listening to the Humble and Honest Podcast. Today's conversation is with Nick Stumbo. Nick Stumbo is the executive director of Pure Desire Ministries, a parachurch organization that provides hope, freedom, and recovery from sexual brokenness. This is actually part two of the Porn and Pastors conversation. The first one was with Pastor Garrett, and I definitely encourage all of you guys to check that episode out first. But let me also say this. You know, this Humble and Honest podcast aims to be just that, humble and honest in our conversations. And some of the honesty that you're going to hear from Pastor Nick may be one that you're not ready for your children to hear. So just a quick warning that there are some sensitive subjects that are talked about here that you may not be ready to have children hear. However, I do believe that it will be one that can help encourage anyone that is a parent to be able to talk to their children about issues like this and so many other things. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Nick Stumbo. So Pastor Nick Stumbo. Can you share with us your story? Where did you begin and how did you end up here with Pure Desire? Yeah, I'd be glad to. It's uh, great to be part of the podcast today. And there's so many pieces to the story. You know, what I typically start with is to say, I I feel like I had what's a fairly typical Christian male struggle with pornography. I was introduced to sexual things at a you know friend's house at about 11, 12 years old as his parents watched a probably just a rated R movie that we were watching over their shoulders when they thought we were in bed and saw some you know nudity and sex scenes, things I'd never seen before. And in my brain in that moment had two thoughts. One was the, the natural draw that God created our brains to be drawn to sexuality. So that desire, but then also something inside saying this feels wrong. And if my parents knew they'd be upset or frustrated that I had watched this. And so right away, sex came into my life in a way that was secretive and shameful. And that was just the paradigm through which as I, you know, found a pornographic magazine in my teen years. And then right in that time, the, the Internet was coming of age and so found that you could find uh, images online for free and took that struggle to another level. And the whole time for me, I was trying to avoid it. I would say every time was the last time because I believed uh, God called us to purity and the whole, I, you know, I made a covenant with my eyes not to sin. And so I would do what I, I believe the Bible teaches us to do. And that's to confess our sins one to another. And I remember one night after a junior high youth group, I confessed to my youth pastor and just got it out there and, you know, ex- ex- received some great, you know, counsel from him and forgiveness. And, and yet there was, there was no follow-up, you know, there was no discipleship. There was no plan really of how to change. And so it was the you know, you confess it and now go home and try harder not to do it again. And as mm-hmm. so many men and women have found, particularly in this area of our sexuality, that just trying harder not to do it really isn't successful, even if we're praying and reading our Bible and renouncing it. And I feel like I was doing all of those things. And yet I didn't really understand everything else that was driving my behaviors. And so yeah, as I got married and got into ministry, I was still having this on again, off again, struggle with pornography and low level enough that I could convince myself I was making progress and it was getting better. And yet I was still believing that I, that part of being a man of integrity was to confess it. And so every six months or so, I'd get up the courage and the boldness to be honest with my wife and say, hey, I'm I'm still struggling. I'm trying really hard not to, but it come it's come back and I'm really sorry. And, you know, here's every time I had an explanation for why this time was different, why this time was the last time. 
And I, I believed I was sincere. I wasn't trying to pull the wool over her eyes or be deceptive. I, I meant it when I said, you know, that was it. I've dealt with it now. And and yet I would fall back again in that binge purge relationship because, again, nothing in my thinking or inside had really changed. I was just trying harder not to do it. And that didn't work. And mm -hmm. so after 10 years of that in my marriage and in my ministry, my wife had kind of reached a point where she was done. Because after 10 years of me telling her it was the last time and it wasn't going to happen again, for good reason, she didn't believe me anymore. And she was ready to be done. And I realized we were at a breaking point. And it was really by God's grace at that time, we discovered Pure Desire Ministries. I was a part of a district of churches. I was a pastor at the time. And our district leadership created a plan to say, if you're a pastor who's struggling with pornography and it doesn't involve anything illegal or anything with other people, we want to help you deal with this and get free of it, and if possible, to remain in ministry. And that, you know, 10 years ago, that was a pretty rare offer from any kind of religious denomination to offer that. And so my wife and I, through that, were able to enter the counseling process and also to get into groups, myself for men who were struggling and my wife for women who were feeling betrayed and were working on the relationship, how to trust again. And that year in our lives was really transformational because for the first time I was able to understand why just trying to stop it wasn't working, that I, I had to see the pattern that I was stuck in. I had to see all of the emotions that were driving me into that behavior and really what was the pain or the issues in my life that I was trying to avoid that I was using pornography and masturbation to, to numb out and to create a false sense of pleasure and of feeling good. Um, and so as we walked through that process of the counseling and being in groups, it was it was really life changing for us as a couple It set me free from those behaviors. And we brought that story after a year back to the church that I was a part of. And I had a weekend service, confessed to my addiction, um, and I asked for my congregation's forgiveness for failing as a leader in this area. Wow. And then I, I asked for their help to start groups because I and what I said in that sermon was, I, I know I'm not the only one. I know that there are many in our community who are struggling and we want to be a, a safe church. We want to be a healing church. We want to be a place where people can come and get free. And so really overnight, we saw groups for men and women get launched and they became, honestly, they became the lifeblood of our church. It was the best discipleship we ever did because men and women would go in there really hurting and, and wondering where was God in all this? And they would find freedom and hope and change and it just it infused so much life into our church over the next five years. And because of that, I wrote our story in my book, Setting Us Free, just telling our story of healing and change as a couple and what our church went through. And because of that connection to Pure Desire would speak occasionally at their conferences and that relationship continued to grow. And then in, in 2015, uh, the founder of Pure Desire is Dr. Ted Roberts. Dr. Ted was diagnosed with Parkinson's and it became evident that the ministry was going to need to transition leadership. And that was where they approached my wife and I about, would we come on board as the director and, and take the lead, take the baton from mm -hmm. Ted Robert? And that felt like, you know, really big shoes to fill, but we really sensed God's leading in it. The Holy Spirit saying, this is something I've been preparing you for. And so in 2016, we moved and started at Pure Desire full time to really to just try to keep helping other men and women find the freedom that we had found and that we were enjoying and seeing that healing continue to grow because we know that just like I said in my sermon on that Sunday, I know I'm not the only one. And mm. sadly, this is an issue that's still getting worse before it gets better. And 
And we really need churches to be awake to this, to see what does it look like to be a safe place and a healing place? Because right now, as, as you and a lot of the listeners might know, that I think the primary method for churches to deal with this issue is to send people somewhere else. Yeah. Go see a counselor, go away to this ministry, go away to this healing center. And, and there's value in those things. And I mean, obviously, Pure Desire has a team of counselors that do great work. But I really believe the church is the hope of the world and that the church has all the tools they need to help men and women find freedom. And that's why our primary work at Pure Desire is to equip churches to run a healing ministry, to start groups for men, for women, for teens, for young adults to say, if you're struggling, that's what we're here for you. And you don't have to have some expert come and be a part of this group and walk through a process of transformation that has you know, the group material has been written by experts. It's written by Ted Roberts and our counseling team. And it's really, really high level stuff. But it's something that any church can grab hold of and say, we're going to take some of our men through this. We're going to take some of our women through this. Mm -hmm. And churches can be a healing place. And that's what I'm I'm so passionate about doing now is taking my story, both as an individual and then as a church, and trying to say to others, here's how you can replicate it so that your church is helping people find hope and freedom. So here's my thing, because you said a lot of powerful things just now. And yeah, like I said, there's a story there that you can unpack. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I want to unpack it. I'm going to do I don't know if I could do all 15, but I definitely have a few that I really want to tackle here because your story is one that I've heard so many times. It's something that I've experienced in my own life. I, I talked about it on an earlier podcast with another guy named Pastor Garrett, who I stumbled upon pornography by accident, purely by accident. It was completely unintentional, like it was for you, but it started me down a path that wasn't healthy. And I'm very grateful for the college that I went to and the people that I talked to that was able to really lead me down a proper path. And I believe today, humbly, that I'm in a much better place than I could have been if I didn't have that intervention in my life. But that's not everybody's story. And the thing about it is, is I've come across so many people now where just due to the way that the culture is, now there's a lot of people that consider pornography to be a form of sexual expression that should be okay and depending on who you are it's a way of finding yourself and and what you're interested in and for someone like you with everything that not only you've experienced personally but also you've intervened in the lives of other people what do you say to that person that might even be bold enough to say, hey, I'm a Christian, but I watch pornography with my spouse and that's OK or what have you. But how do you respond to that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, because we definitely see the attitudes and opinions about pornography shifting. And I, I look at a question like that and say, are our attitudes shifting because we see that in Scripture, because we feel like this is what God is calling us to or because of what's happening in culture around us? And when you ask the question that way, I don't know anybody that says, oh, this is what scripture says. This is how God would call us to use our sexuality. Very true. It's always kind of a, well, you know, put our head down. Well, it's just, and, and what I hear a lot of is we've kind of arrived at a place, even as Christians, where we're not sure how to win in this area. And so it's kind of that old adage that if you can't beat them, join them. So let's find a way to like kind of make it okay when really it's it's not helping. I mean, the, the research is out there that overwhelmingly would say, even if a married couple is watching it together to quote unquote, improve their relationship, it's not helping. 
It's mm-hmm. creating connections in the brain with what you're viewing that are impossible for you to replicate as a married couple. And so the kind of the kind of bonding that we're meant to have by God with the chemicals in our brain and, and with a, a committed relationship to our spouse are, are getting all messed up in inviting in pornography. And this is where the brain science about pornography is so helpful. And it's something that I find most Christians aren't aware of. We just look at the morality of it and there's yeah. certainly a morality side. But there's also some truth of what's happening in our brain. And, and I am, I'm always careful to say when we talk about the brain, we're not leaving spirituality because mm-hmm. the brain is the brain God created. The brain is how God designed the brain to work. And what we're seeing is what happens when sin and Satan can hijack God's good plan and use it for evil. Mm-hmm. And so just like those chemicals that are in our brain that are released at the moment of climax with our spouse, they are meant to bond us to that person and really create the glue of relationship. Well, that same process is happening when we watch pornography. There are chemicals being released that are bonding us to that image. And at the same time, because it's not a committed relationship, it's also triggering the hunter-gatherer part of the human brain that says, I want more and I want better and I want different. And that's why pornography is so dangerous, because it never leaves you where you are. Whether you're watching it on your own or with your spouse, it's always trying to take us further because the brain says, I need something more novel, more different, more unique. And we're really training the brain to, to be dissatisfied with any kind of sexual expression because we always need it to be a different or better person. So if, if that's what's happening, and this research can prove that's the whole ideas of tolerance and needing to find novelty, those are scientifically proven things. It's not just opinion or theory. If, if you take that, what's happening in the brain, then you would say, well, how successful can I be then in having a committed, godly relationship with one person? Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible. And so yeah. there, there really is a need for both morality to be preached, but also just for men and women to understand the brain science between what's happening and what we're becoming hooked on, because we're creating scenarios in our brain that are impossible for us to find in a real relationship. And I think, honestly, that's why you see in our country, marriage rates keep getting higher and higher. Divorce rates keep getting worse. And there's a growing culture of singleness in our society because people's brains have been trained by pornography and we don't know how to have committed monogamous relationships mm-hmm. um, unless we can get healthy enough to do that. So, um, I, you know, I could go on and on, but I think it's just really would come back to that question of, is this really a decision we're making because we think it's what God wants and it's God's best for us? Mm -hmm. Or is it a decision we're making because we don't really know if we can beat it? And so we're just giving in to what's easy and what's available. So here's my other thing about that, too, because I also have experienced people and I, you know what, we're going to get right to that. But here's another thing about your story that I do want to hit on, because there is a high shame culture when it comes to Christians and this particular sin. And because of that, it makes it so I could confess that I have an issue with drug use or alcohol or something. And I would feel probably more freedom or I'd probably feel I'd have more support in that confession than pornography sometimes. And I wonder, there's a lot of reasons to that. But for you and your story you felt that it was important to talk to your wife first about what was going on, which makes sense. But I've also heard people say, you shouldn't tell your wife. 
if you struggle with this, because you may cause for your marriage to actually implode. And if you have that mentality, then why would you tell your church? Because again, that could be another factor. So is there a way in the sense of the shame that is surrounding this particular thing on how to communicate it or when we should be communicating it? If somebody watches pornography one time, do you say you need to tell your wife right away? Are you one of the people that believes, you know what, maybe there's some wisdom in withholding or what have you? How do you answer something like that? I hope that makes sense. Yep. Well, I think, you know, to start, let's talk a little bit about shame. Uh, You know, that shame is a voice that communicates there's something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why I fear to expose what I've done, not just because it's bad behavior, but because I think it confirms that I am a bad person. And the challenge is that shame thrives in isolation. So if we're living with any kind of unconfessed sin in our life, and whether it's sexual or otherwise, there's a voice of shame that will use that to keep saying there's something wrong with you. And if people knew this about you, they would reject you. And I I think sexuality in particular, because, you know, first Corinthians six talks about that, that it's unique and that it's a sin against your own body. There's, there's something deeply personal about it that does it violates a sense of who we are and our consciousness. And, and so if we keep that hidden, it allows shame to thrive, to keep saying, well, if they knew this about you or if they knew what you'd done, they would reject you. And yeah. so if anything else, I say confession needs to occur in order to dismantle the voice of shame. Mm-hmm. Now, does that mean going immediately to your wife and confessing to them is always the best thing to do right away? Not necessarily, because on the other side of this, there is some wisdom and discernment of what I'm communicating to a spouse. It's not just, you know, confessing my sin. It's it's confessing a behavior that may be deeply painful to them. And if they're not able to receive it well, I can, in a a sense, be traumatizing them. And that's why I always encourage and at Pure Desire, we really encourage that your first step would be to go someone of the of like gender a mentor or a brother and sister in Christ that you could go and pour out, you know, what's happened and talk about it and and start dealing with it. So that if you go to your spouse, you're able to do it, not just from this emotional place of kind of vomiting out your sin and then you feel better, but then they feel disgusted and don't know what to do with it, that you're actually coming to them from a, a humble place of repentance. Because as you know, we all know, repentance isn't just feeling bad about what I've done. Repentance is actually showing a desire to turn and go in a different direction. Yes. And so that's a far better conversation in a relationship. If a husband or wife can come to their spouse and say, I've I have been struggling with my purity and they can be very factual about here are some choices I've made to view pornography or to act out on that and offer repentance and and confession, but also to talk about what steps they're taking to move in the right direction about joining a group and and working on having healthy boundaries in their life and getting accountability software. And it's definitely a challenge in relationships to navigate that. But I would say back to kind of your original question, like, do you need to confess to your spouse? I think ultimately the answer is always yes. So yes. immediately right now, maybe not, but you do need to have this perspective of they will need to know eventually sooner or later, because the foundation of a relationship is trust. Yes. And the foundation of trust is transparency that I, I can't trust what I don't know. And so if I am withholding things from my spouse, I'm deteriorating trust and intimacy in our marriage. And so it's not always easy to be transparent, but I think that's what 
it, it requires of us to be one flesh in a marriage. So that that's kind of a broad answer. There's, there's a lot of delicate steps in there. There's things I encourage in terms of um, we never encourage a spouse to go and just unload their whole sexual history without having had some help and discernment in that, because we tend to just emotionally say everything and then we leave something out and then we come back later and say, well, oh yeah, I forgot about these things. I didn't tell you this part. And and when there's that staggered disclosure, it can actually have the emotional impact on a spouse as that of being a rape victim. Really? And that sounds horrendous, but that's the, again, that's a secular research that's been done that finds the trauma of this in a relationship is very, very deep. And so when you open that door in your relationship, you want to open it with wisdom and discernment and thoughtfulness that I'm, I'm telling an accurate, fact-based, not emotion-based story of my life with an intent to heal and change, not just getting it off my chest so I feel better. You know, that's what I was doing to my wife for 10 years was kind of out of the guilt, getting it off my chest, but then not changing. And so it kept happening. Mm-hmm. And that created deep, deep trauma in our marriage. And that's why after 10 years, my wife was ready to be done because I'd done that to her without showing any real change. And um, that's what she needed to see wasn't honesty. She needed to see change. Absolutely. You know, something very powerful about Peer Desire Ministry specifically is that you guys do a lot of couple counseling. You're not just dealing with the person that's struggling with it, but you're dealing with the spouse that may have to suffer from, you know, the whole ordeal. So, you know, I think that's a really powerful thing. But also, you know, there's there's the element of children in the home as well. And you know, I'm, we're going to talk a lot about in our time that we have about the church and how the church should be handling it. But first and foremost, it's important that there's an establishment in the home about stuff like this. Now, my kid is nine months old, so I'm not worried about anything currently. I don't, he just figured out what his name is. So I'm not tripping, but at this, I got a little bit of time, but the more I look at it and I try not to live in fear, but it is concerning to see how early children are getting exposed to this type of activity, pornography and, and images like that. What do you say to the parent? And not to mention, not just pornography, but sexuality as a whole is now being exposed to children at ages that I'm not necessarily sure they're at the age to handle. Now, granted, I'm not an expert, but how do you handle this? Because I know this was something that you recently talked about on your podcast. Yeah. When it comes to our kids, I think there's a decision we all need to make about who is going to create the framework of thinking when it comes to sexuality in our kids' lives. Because the truth is, someone will create that framework. And because, as you mentioned earlier in this podcast, because this is such a taboo topic in church, nobody knows how to talk about it. Well, a a big part of that reason is because it's a big taboo topic at home that Mm. parents haven't learned how to have normal, healthy conversations about sexuality with their kids. And so the model that most of us have been handed is kind of the birds and the bees talk. Um, Maybe you even go away for a weekend when they're 11, 12 years old, and you you kind of introduce human sexuality to them all at once. And there's, there's some goodness to that idea. But if that's the only time we really talk about our kids with sex, A, by 11 or 12 years old, most of our kids have already had something shown to them accidentally stumbled upon things they've heard that that have started to shape their views about sexuality and b just because we bring it up one time doesn't mean we've created an environment where our kids feel comfortable bringing those things to us Mm -hmm. and so that's the kind of things um, i try to say to parents is 
number one, we've got to be responsible for our, for our own health because we're going to have limited ability to help our kids if we're stuck in our own struggle. So we'll get parents that come to us like, oh, you know, I've got teenagers and I'm so worried about them. And, and what do I do and what do I say? And, and the starting point is always to say, are you comfortable with your sexual history to the mm. point that you're able to share it with your kids? Have you found healing and freedom? And are you walking a changed life that, that you're able to speak, not as perfect, not as an expert, but out of humility to just say, here are things I've learned. Here's what God's done. Because if, if you've dealt with your negative sexual history, then you're going to be able to have those conversations in your home. And that's the second thing we say to parents then is it's not just about having the conversation, but it's learning to create a culture of conversation in your home. Mm -hmm. You know, and so you talk about having a nine month old. The point isn't wait until he's 12 and to start talking, but but early in life to introduce to our kids that, you know, we talk about our bodies the names of our body parts for what they are. And we don't, we don't act like penis is a swear word and we shouldn't say it because if, if you have a boy, they have a penis and they shouldn't feel like that's a shameful thing to talk about. Now we do yeah. want to train them what's appropriate to say in public and what we joke about and what we don't, but, but those are the kind of conversations we want to be having early in life so that, that our kids feel like talking about their body is something we do with mom and dad. And that when we talk about those things, another great pointer, and I, I got this from one of our, our speakers and an author that Pure Desire has named Rodney Wright, that early in those conversations, always look for an opportunity to connect our sexuality to God. Okay. You know, to say, God, well, God made you that way. God gave you a penis. God, and God's the one that created it to, to get hard, to have an erection. And that's not a sinful, shameful thing. That's part of having a human body that God gave you. And and, you know, we'll talk about what that's for and why that happens. And so that it's not this weird, odd, you know, once at 12 years old conversation, but it's just we talk about our bodies. We talk about what we see in the world. Um, so right now, my boys are 11 and eight and they're mm -hmm. really getting into those ages. They're asking more serious questions. And, you know, when when a provocative commercial comes on they're they're awesome. And my wife and I both worked on this, my wife more so at they're so good at turning their heads away. Oh, that's not appropriate. And, mm -hmm. but I'm looking for those opportunities now to have more conversations and say, Hey boy, you know, do you know why that's inappropriate or, you know, why we encourage you to look away and, and trying to help them see that it's more than just it's bad or it's evil, mm -hmm. but, but to recognize the way that just because society makes something okay, doesn't mean it's healthy for us. And what's our brain learning and what's it going to be like to have a wife someday. And so my hope is that by the time, you know, my kids are 18, we've had a thousand of these one minute conversations rather mm -hmm. than having one really long conversation that sets them right. So in all that, going back to where I started, it's cre it's helping my kids create a framework for sexuality because the truth is in today's day and age, they are going to be exposed to things we wish they didn't see. Yeah. But it is, it, unless you're going to move to a commune without electricity, I hate to say it in today's day and age, it's not if it's when, but yeah. the question is when they're exposed to something that's inappropriate, that's, you know, they didn't intend to see, will their brain have a framework for what to do with it? Or will it be like my brain at 10 years old that goes, wow, I, I don't know what to do with this. I'm attracted to it, but it feels wrong. I can't tell mom and dad. And so I just stuffed it inside and figured it out myself. Mm -hmm. And really that created the framework versus I'm hopeful that when my boys see something, they can be like, oh, my dad has talked about this. That must be the inappropriate kind of uh, videos he's warned us about on the Internet. And and I remember him saying that if we ever stumbled across something, we should let him know so we could talk about why that came up. And I'm going to go tell him right now. So they're not doing it out of this. Oh, my dad's going to be so mad. 
they're doing it from a framework of health that says, oh, this is what we've talked about. And I don't have to be ashamed. We can have conversations and deal with it appropriately. So that's that's a little bit of guidance on where to start with parents. Um, but I, I really come back to saying, do your own work in terms of the, the healthier you get, yeah. the better you'll be as a parent to your kids in this Man. area. Hey, we want to take a quick break just to let you know about the people that help me do what I do. Ambo TV. Ambo TV brings inspirational live sermons from the most captivating next generation Christian pastors, along with in-studio discussion to a broad multi-platform audience. I am super grateful to be considered someone that has been on the Ambo TV television show, but also I want to encourage you guys to check out AmboTV.com for yourself to see some incredible messages from some incredible leaders all across the country. Now, back to our conversation with Nick Stumbo. Man, that's deep. That's deep. And I think that's the other thing, too, where a lot of people, they haven't figured it out for themselves. And many times they'll send them to the youth pastor or somebody else to kind of deal with it. I love my parents so much. But when I turned 12 years old, my parents went to the library. They got me a puberty book. And they said, go ahead and read this. And that was it. We never, we never discussed what was in the book or anything. And so it was just, it was a lot of me figuring things out. It was a lot of me hearing things from friends and, you know, kind of older cousins. And it wasn't necessarily always from a godly worldview. And, and again, that's something that I definitely had to process and work out. Do you feel like the shame concept, just going back to that again, do you think that's something that's learned? Are just something that's almost natural to the individual that's exposed to stuff like this. Because this is another thing that's really big in our culture, whether it's porn or anything else. Everybody's trying to get rid of shame. But what do you think sexual shame originates from, in your opinion? You know, I think when you look at Genesis 3, you see that shame is a natural outcome of sinful choices. Mm-hmm. That when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit that God had told them not to, it says their eyes were open they looked down and they felt shame at their nakedness, you know, which is interesting because they had been naked five seconds before they ate the fruit and they didn't feel shame. So why suddenly do they look down and now they feel shame? Well, it's because they had broken God's law. They'd broken relationship. And so there is a natural outcome of if we break relationship, if we violate God's word, if, if we do things that he has created that we know to be wrong, shame is that voice that comes and says, there's something wrong with you. And, and then what happens, the way I see it, is life and trauma and people can reinforce that shame. So mm-hmm. most of the men I've worked with, you know, they've had an authority figure in their life sooner or later in some way communicate to them, you know, you're not good enough. You don't measure up. You don't have what it takes. You'll never be, you know, you'll never be as good as so-and-so or you got cut from the team. And so if we already have kind of a voice of shame that comes from sin in our lives, And then other people in a traumatic situation say a word of you're stupid or you're a failure. Shame latches onto that. Now it goes a lot deeper to say, yeah, I am stupid. I am a failure. I will never be good enough. And I think that's kind of the two together that we have to both address the choices we're making that create shame so that we can, you know, renounce those and find forgiveness and hope and freedom. But at the same time, we have to be able to look at our our past and the trauma that's created these lies of shame to continue to operate because I've met so many men, you know, that if you ask them and I'm, I'm talking about men cause I'm in groups with men, but I think it's the same for women 
who, if you asked them, uh, have you been forgiven and redeemed in Christ? They'd say, oh, yes, absolutely. But if you got into their story, you'd find they still feel deep shame. It's like, well, why? If you've been forgiven and redeemed by Christ, why the shame? Yeah. It's because no one has ever walked through them in their life, how the trauma and the pain they've experienced has created these lies of shame. And so they're still hearing many times a voice of a father figure saying you're a failure, even though in their spirit, they know Christ has redeemed them and forgiven them. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's to me in our spirituality, it's this both end. Of, yes, we both have to receive the forgiveness and hope of Christ, but we also have to identify and expose those negative experiences that have also spoken a voice of shame into us so that we can deal with that and, and learn to listen to a different message in our thinking. It's so often that we can be free spiritually, but still slaves in our mind. And I think are slaves in our psyche. And it's, it's so difficult because so often I know in my life, I was like, you know what? I'm going to live free today. I'm going to see myself the way God sees me. And then one thing happens and, or I just wake up the next day and I just don't have that same level of energy as I did before. And now I'm back in that rut again. And it takes so much to really find freedom. So, you know, the thing about this, I want to talk about the church now. What do you believe the church is doing right on this issue as a whole? And what do you think the church really needs to step up in if we want to start seeing more victory happen? Because statistics are showing that this is only becoming more rampant. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think an area that the church is getting it right or we're awakening to is that to preach on sexuality has to be more than just saying, God intended sex for marriage, husband's wife have sex, and if you're not married, don't have sex. Indeed. I think if you boiled down the message I heard in church, that was it. Sex is for marriage. If you're not married, don't have sex. True love waits. You know, we we sign our little virginity card, <laughs> that I'm gonna wait for marriage. And and all that's true. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're seeing, thankfully, is that our sexuality is far more than just waiting to get married. Because yeah. what happens when you get married? Is everything perfect? Well, no. Couples need to be able to talk about wants and needs and desires and, and hurts and pains. And, and what about before marriage? There's, there's a whole lot of gray area between sex and, you know, purity. Mm-hmm. And that's the questions, you know, as, as young adults were asking, it's like, well, what's right and wrong and how do I have healthy relationships? And so I, I do feel like the church is saying, okay, to, to preach on the goodness of God's sexuality is, is more than just sex is for marriage. Yes, it is. But Let's talk about the reality that we are created sexual beings from day one. And that when we're born male or female, that's a sexual orientation in terms of body parts and brain chemicals and desires that will come into our heart. And and so to help men and women understand that God's interested in that. And I think that's a place we could grow more in is not only bringing up those things in the negative of, oh, you know, lust is bad and sex is bad outside of marriage and pornography is bad. And even if those things are true, we have to communicate as much the goodness of a God who made us sexual and that it wasn't a bad idea mm-hmm. that God gave us hormones and gender and, and body parts. So I think that's an area of growth. And, and in, in general, then, I, I think the church has a discipleship issue yeah. that we feel like if we teach and preach well, train people to read their Bible and pray and get them in small groups, that will be enough to help them overcome any issue. And then that's why when an issue comes up that that didn't solve, whether it's drugs or alcohol or pornography and sex, we send people to a counselor because it's like, well, our system of preaching and teaching the Bible works for everybody else. Why didn't it work for you? When, mm-hmm. when the truth is that that's not really discipleship because in our, in our sexuality, we need to have 
a very specific, deep approach to understanding why do I do what I don't want to do? What's the pattern that I've gotten stuck in? Mm -hmm. Where have I become dependent? Where might I even be addicted to something? And I have to acknowledge that it's gone beyond my ability to control it. So I, I think for churches to go much deeper in what does recovery look like and that recovery is not something that should happen outside the church, mm -hmm. but it's something that we can create communities around these issues for people to really find freedom together. And so unfortunately, the, the stats there are still very, very sad in terms of um, the percentage of churches that have groups specifically around the topics of sex or pornography, you know, Barna did that study, and it's about five years old now, but would suggest less than 7% of churches have groups to deal with pornography and sex. I agree. I agree. look at that and say, man, if, if we are all sexual beings, mm -hmm. and if 68% of men in church are struggling with their sexuality and 30% of women, what percentage of churches need a group? And the percent that need a group is like 100. Yeah. <laughs> The fact that we're at seven means that most, the vast majority of people, if they're struggling with anything sexual or with pornography, their church is not where they go for help because the church has no answer other than read your Bible and pray and go to your small group. Mm -hmm. and, and again, I don't mean to diminish in any way Bible reading and prayer in small group because those things have been formative for me. Mm -hmm. But I know I, I was in those and led those things as a pastor for 10 years, and it didn't touch my sexual struggles because it never really went there. Yeah. So we've got to be willing to get more specific and get people into community with one another that are going through the same issues and really have a path of healing and change. And that's, again, what Pure Desire does with our groups um, and all of our group material. So the thing about this is, you know, you know, there's freedom in the confession of our sins. Scripture talks about that and finding people that can walk along with us. Now, this is the Humble and Honest podcast. So. I need to ask this question, knowing that you are an expert on this, that you've tackled probably way more difficult conversations. But the one thing I have never heard in church, I've heard don't watch porn or anything. But the one thing I've never heard in church is the masturbation situation. How do you answer that for for people that say, can I do one without the other pornography? Can what about you know, the marriage context, how do you respond to that? Because I think that's something that often people want to know, but no one has the courage to bring up and understandably. So it, it's probably one of the most private things people do, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's not very specifically covered in scripture. And so we're kind of left wondering and, and we get this question probably at almost every event we do. Mm -hmm. And usually the question is formed in the, the right and wrong kind of, is it, sinful or not? Is it right or not? And I think that's the wrong place to start, that okay. it's better to maybe take a step back and say, is it is it wise and helpful? You know, you, you talk, you hear about Paul writing about that again in First Corinthians of, we say that everything is permissible, but is it beneficial? Mm -hmm. And so whether or not it's permissible is maybe a different conversation, but I always try to encourage people to think through, if you are engaging in self-stimulation and masturbation, is it secretive? I mean, is it something you share with your spouse? Because most people would say, well, well, no. So now you're creating one more thing that's a secret that you're not talking about. Yeah. Another question, is it habit forming? Like the fact that you're doing it, do you feel the need to continue doing it? And most of the time we'd say, well, yeah, it, it tends to create some dependence. Well, if we're becoming dependent on anything that's not Christ and his word, that's not necessarily healthy either. 
and then what I look at is I encourage someone to say, is masturbation training your brain for relationship or for selfishness? Mm-hmm. Because God gave us sexuality within the marriage for relationship, for mutual enjoyment, right? Yeah. Yep. Not just for me to have a partner that makes me feel good about myself. And so every time I masturbate, I'm actually reaffirming the message that sex is about me and my climax. Mm. And that actually makes it difficult to be in a relationship with someone else that now I'm suddenly supposed to make it about them and their pleasure, not my own. So even in those three categories, we would probably conclude, well, I don't think masturbation is wise because it can become secretive. It becomes shameful and it becomes a a pattern. Mm -hmm. Now, the common thing you have people push back and say, well, what if I only think of my spouse when I'm doing it? And, and what I try to encourage people to think about is what version of your spouse are you thinking about? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking about the reality of people that have bad days and get angry and go on periods and sometimes aren't in the mood or are grumpy? And, and is that who you're imagining? Or is it a perfected, glorified, in the mood, wanting to do whatever you want version of them? Because it's, it's possible to objectify your spouse as much as it's possible to objectify any other human being. That's a truth bomb right there, if I ever heard one. Yeah, yeah. while we might feel like, well, it's probably better you're thinking about your spouse than another person, I would, I'd grant that. But I may be creating a thought life about my spouse that now they can't even live up to the expectations I have of them. And that's something I hear frequently in marriages that, that a spouse is wanting more engagement sexually, they're wanting more frequency, and sometimes their own thought life is fueling that because they've created a scenario that no spouse can live up to. So would I, you know, would I say that masturbation is 100% wrong in every situation all the time? I don't go that far. I, I think there's conversations with, you know, spouses who are disabled, with spouses who are apart for long, long periods of time. There are situations that I wonder, wow, with with healthy communication between the spouses about what's appropriate, how to do it, even, you know, um, talking to spouses that have had to be separated for long, long periods of time where they know they're on the phone with each other and they know that maybe later there's going to be some masturbation because they're apart, but they've even prayed together before. Like, so it's being done in this attitude of it's not going to be secretive. It's not about perpetuating a cycle. It's not about fantasizing about someone else, but it's it's really intended to enhance relationship and draw me to that other person. Are there times? I think maybe, but on the other hand, I also then like, so for people that are coming into a pure desire group who will say, well, it isn't okay if I just masturbate, I'll, I'll say, you know what, for now, just for now, why don't you treat that like a relapse? Mm. Even if it's only masturbation, just treat it like a relapse and try to see What else is going on in your life? And what so many people find is, oh, yeah, I'd had a rough day. My spouse went to bed early and I ended up masturbating. And it really wasn't about the masturbation. It was about feeling good in a day that wasn't going well. And and when we start to see all these other connections, I think then we can recognize it's often not wise. It's it's often not a healthy choice. Um, And the reality that our culture has created an expectation that, well, you have to have a release. I've heard people say that, oh, physically, you have to have a release. And and I always ask, where did you get that idea? Hmm. Does scripture teach you that we have to have sex to live? Um, Because the reality is if you don't have sex or if you don't have a sexual outlet, you won't die. Now, if, if we're in a pattern of acting out, do we feel pressure? Do we feel certain body things that make us feel like it's in need? Well, yeah, but... 
I say we tr we've trained ourselves into that. And the good news is we can also retrain our brains to not need that expression. So I realize for the single person listening, this might be very difficult. Like, oh, my goodness, what if I can't even masturbate? I'm going to die. What do I do? It, I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying look at why we're doing what we do and be willing to surrender that to Christ and say, Lord, I want to please you in everything I do. So would you help me understand how to use my sexuality in a way that honors you? And I really believe married or single, it's, it's possible to live in purity even without masturbation. Hello world. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. I want to let you know that Humble and Honest is now on Patreon. This means for as low as $1 a month, that's right, four quarters a month, you can support this show and help us continue the conversations that you're listening to today. I'm going to put the link in the description for this particular episode, and we're going to be promoting it a lot more. And I want to thank you in advance for any contribution you can make to make the Humble and Honest podcast possible. Thank you, guys. Let's get back to this conversation. I'm with that 100%. So... In regards to the church now, you know, I've I've experienced very different types of churches and denominations, so on and so forth. You know, the groups that did have accountability groups in regards to this subject matter, oftentimes it was kind of the, hey, did you do anything this week? Did you do anything this week? All right, let's pray. What's good accountability look like, especially when somebody does mess up? Yeah, I, I think the starting point for me is always to encourage us to rearrange how we think about accountability, because typically accountability has been, I have a problem. And so I'm asking you to check in on me, to call me and keep me responsible for this change that I'm working on. And in that scenario, I always ask who is responsible for change in that picture? Is it me or is it the person that I've asked to call and check in on me? Oh, well, Actually, it's I've just given away responsibility because now I, I don't have to make the phone call. They do. And if they don't call that week, whose fault is that theirs or mine? Well, that's their fault. Mm -hmm. And if they call at a time when I'm busy and couldn't answer, is that their fault or mine? Well, that's their fault. Mm -hmm. And it's very convenient, but it's really a backwards way of doing accountability. So yeah. to turn it around is to say to other men or if I'm a woman to say to other women, here's a change that I'm working on in my life. Would it be OK if I called you and self-reported how I'm doing in this change I'm working on, because now I'm owning my change and I'm taking responsibility for what I'm working on. And I'm initiating the contact because you've given me that permission to reach out to you. So for starters, that's what healthy accountability looks like. But putting that into a group, I, I agree with you 100%. I think most churches still have that traditional accountability of, did you mess up this week or not? And it's really a performance group just about, mm. you know, what we, we create a standard, whatever it is, if it's no pornography or no masturbation or, if, you know, whatever other issues, no drinking. And, and if you achieve the standard, you were successful. And if you didn't, you failed. And that puts all the attention on that one standard, which as we have found in our process of addiction and with pornography and lust, that there are things happening in our hearts and minds and lives far before we reach that whatever that line is. So let's say the line is looking at pornography and I can say, oh, I didn't look at any porn this week, but maybe I've spent a lot of my week procrastinating. I've been lost in fantasy. I've been, you know, checking out women when I'm at the store. Like maybe there's all sorts of behaviors in my life that really need to be addressed and worked on. But because I've created this standard of what the line is, then I can come to group and perform well and feel good 
a healthy accountability group is really helping men and women understand all of the factors that are leading to that behavior in their life. It's helping them understand in relationships, emotionally, in the pattern of their day, what are their triggers? And, and so it has to be a much more thorough process. And again, that's what I go back to what Pure Desire has created is a group structure that actually walks you through material to become self-aware of all the factors that are leading to this behavior, not just putting the focus on that behavior. The behavior itself is really just the tip of the iceberg. It's helping one another understand everything else that leads up to that moment so that we can experience real, true change. And that's, that's what I think needs to happen in the church is the kind of groups we have need to go a lot deeper and not just be focused on, because I'll hear that from church, like, oh, we have a men's group and they meet and talk about it. And I'm like, well, tell me more about that. What do you mean by that? I'm like, well, they get together every Saturday morning for half an hour and they check in with each other. It's like, are they using any workbook or material? Well, no. Um, what, what's the plan of change? Well, it's different. You know, so there's really not, a, it's just showing up every week and being honest, which I would say that's better than nothing. True. But I've talked to so many men, myself included, that did that kind of accountability for years and didn't change. Mm-hmm. It, it's We need truth. We need accountability. But we also need to understand a whole system going on and what it looks like to change it. Wonderful. So we're running out of time. So I'm going to ask you this big one again. You know, the the people that are often performing the most in church is unfortunately the pastors of the church. And that's coming from someone that has to constantly be sure that I'm being honest and not living off of the perception that I'm this super spiritual person that I don't have struggles. I have to be sure that I'm vulnerable in that way. But at the same time, there are situations where if I did confess, you know, I mentioned earlier in this conversation that I would confess to having issues with drugs and alcohol before I confess with pornography. But if I had an issue with any of these things, there's not just a chance of me no longer preaching, but like I, I completely lose my livelihood. What do you tell the person that's pursuing ministry or in ministry struggling with this situation that has the competency Is that how you say the word? The competency of ministry. But at the same time, there's an issue with their character in regards to this. How does that person find freedom in a way that is constructive? Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, that's exactly where I was 10 years ago that you felt like if, if I'm honest and confess that I have this problem, I could lose a job and it's the only job I've been trained for. Like when you get a degree in pastoral studies, like I did, it's, it's not like that's super transferable to to (laughs) business or, you know, it is not. It's like, this is what you're trained to do. And so I can't risk losing that. And it, it's a double bind for pastors. Now, by God's grace, I was a part of a denomination that opened that door and recognized that we want to help our leaders. Uh, but many men and women are not in situations like that. And so I would start there to say, if, if you're a pastor, a ministry leader, and you know there's things in your life that are not healthy or not right, I would just encourage you do whatever it takes to pursue healing, but you may need to do it outside of the church that you're currently at. So that's why Pure Desire has online groups that are confidential for you to be involved in. You could begin moving towards health. You could likely find a counselor in your city who has credits in sexual addiction therapy and recovery. And if you spend a few minutes on any counselor's website, you can find out pretty easily if they're Christian and if they specialize in sexual addiction. You could go to them confidentiality. So don't wait, because the reality is this behavior is always escalating in nature. It, mm-hmm. it always takes us further than we meant to go. 
keeps us longer than we meant to stay and will cost us more than we ever thought we'd pay. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no pastor who gets caught in sexual sin that that was their plan. You know, that they thought, yes. oh, in 10 years from now, I'll end up in an affair or I'll end up being caught with pornography on my church computer. Like, no one thinks that will happen to them. But the problem is we think we can control it. We can keep it under wraps until we can't, and then it's too late. And so if you're struggling at all, don't put up with it. Don't wait. Begin to pursue help and health. Now, the other thing I would say, because a lot of listeners are probably not pastors, but they may be on a church board. They may be a part of selecting pastors. And I think the challenge we need to hear is, are we assuming that because someone is competent and trained to be a pastor, that their character is in place? Mm-hmm. And, and this is what I go back to, that unfortunately, too many pastors, we, we qualify them because we think they're the most spiritual person in the room. And really, that's not what makes a pastor a pastor. What makes a pastor a pastor is that they were called. Yeah. God called them into it. And so they begin to get training. They become competent. And just because you're called and becoming competent doesn't mean that someone's helped you with your character. So the, the reality is, you know, I went to eight years of Bible college and seminary. I was or, and went through an ordination process in my denomination. So probably 10 years worth of training to become prepared for a pastor. And in those 10 years of training, there was maybe one one hour conversation about pornography, lust and sexuality. Wow. So as I'm training for ministry, where am I supposed to get healthy and discipled if it didn't happen in any of those places? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's happened to pastors all across our country. And it's why, depending what reports you look at, over 50 percent of pastors would say, yeah, I don't have my sexuality figured out. I'm struggling mm-hmm. because no one led them down a path of healing and freedom and change. and. So I think we need to arrive at a place in the church where pastors are allowed to be real people that are also in a transformational process. Yes, maybe they're called into ministry and they're competent to preach or teach or lead, but we don't have to assume that they've got their life together. And that that does not disqualify them from being a leader. Now, are there things that a, a person could do and act out that do disqualify them? Yes, I think we all know there, there are certain standards that any church needs to hold. But underneath that standard, there is a whole lot of room where we could begin to walk alongside young pastors and say, hey, we're not going to assume you've got it all figured out. So let's have some honest conversations about your sexuality. And if you if you don't have it figured out, we would much rather help you and make you healthy and be our pastor for a long time than send you away and fire you just because you're not perfect. So that'd be my encouragement. If you're not the pastor, but you have any role in what your church does Could you create an environment where it's okay for your pastor to be a human being? Because you could help remove that double bind where they're not allowed to be anything but perfect to say, we'd rather have you healthy and stay as our pastor than act like you are. So I I think there's some change in church culture that needs to happen. And I, I pray that we all get to be a part of that. I absolutely agree. Absolutely. So for the individual now, that's basically... You know, they, they've heard everything that we're talking about here and they say, you know what? I need help. I need to find freedom. In your closing remarks, tell them how they can find it through possibly going through pure desire. Because I think what the ministry that you're a part of is so powerful and something that more people need to take advantage of. So fill us in on that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, they're, they're listening to this podcast. So I would mention that. Pure Desire has a weekly podcast, and for a lot of people, that's a great starting place to just look through the topics we've covered and whatever you're facing or dealing with. We've probably done a podcast on it. We've got about 150 of them up now, and that would be a great place to start. And then you can see on our website at puredesire.org, 
that we have a groups page and there you can find groups that meet in person in local churches. So you could look up on a groups map and see if there are churches around you that might already have groups. And like, even for me as a pastor, I was able to attend a group at another church that was half an hour away. So there was a little anonymity of not being in my own church, but to be able to do it in person was a very powerful experience. And then if, if you're not able to attend a group in person or there's nothing around you, you'll also see that we have online groups. And those groups do have a fee because we pay the leader. It's someone that we vetted and trained and is a well-experienced leader. So they get a little compensation for the group. And so there is some cost to that for us to administrate it. But that would be a, an experience you could join from anywhere in the world at just about any day of the week. So you can find that on puredesire.org. And, and all of the groups use material that can be found on our store. It's about the only place to find them because we don't carry it at Amazon. We, we choose not to give our overhead to them. We, we use the money to, to fuel the ministry and to help more people. So you order it through our website and it actually ships right out of our offices here. And um, you can get your workbooks and be off and running in a group in no time. I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, Pastor Nick Stumbo, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. And I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, people might find, people will find actually freedom through this conversation today. Amen. Amen. May it be so. Absolutely. Very powerful conversation. Thank you, Nick Stumbo, for taking a moment of your time to be on the show. I hope that what you guys heard will definitely be something that gives freedom to a lot of the things that you may be struggling with privately. Join me next time as we have an incredible conversation with another great Christian leader. This was the Humble and Honest Podcast.